0: Good evening, good to see you tonight. Let's take our Bibles tonight, please. Turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 20, 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 20. I was thinking, Rich, today about kind of where we've been in 1 Samuel, we saw Samuel, of course, and uh, his early life, and his coming into ministry according to God's plan, and we've seen Saul uh, starting out okay, but not doing well at this time, and uh, and now David, right? And, um, of course, we, we understand Zach, David pictures who in so many ways? He pictures Christ in so many ways, right? And I want you to be thinking about that tonight uh, as we look at this account. Uh, you know, David is going to really, at the close of this chapter, he'll he'll flee away from Saul. And of course, that sets up the historical context for so many of the Psalms, right? So many of the Psalms we read. We're not really sure if it's uh, this context or maybe the situation with Absalom, but Uh, Certainly so many of the Psalms where David is crying out to the Lord for help, for deliverance, uh, certainly could be that this is the situation that uh, provides the context for that. Now, uh, tonight the the focus of the chapter is not just Saul coming after David, but the focus really is uh, the friendship that we've seen begin to form with uh, Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, Uh, angry King Saul's son and his loving uh, relationship uh, with David. And uh, one man said, if you read different commentators about this chapter, one man said, this is an unrivaled, an unrivaled record of human friendship. That was Mr. Unger, if you read him at all. He said, this is an amazing chapter. It's it's really an incredible picture of, of human friendship. And uh, uh, Gary, an incredibly loving, loyal, faithful, supportive uh, friendship between two men. Nothing inappropriate about that at all, regardless of how the world wants to uh, portray this. Uh, Zach, who makes that kind of friendship? Who makes that kind of friendship possible? It's, it's the Lord who makes it possible, right? We naturally are bad friends and, you know, naturally we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble, but uh, I want us tonight to think, as I said, be thinking about how does David picture Christ in, in this passage, but also want us to really focus tonight on the, the nature of the, the friendship between Jonathan and David and just see some of the, the attributes or characteristics of that friendship. Uh, it's here, no doubt, Gary, in part, because the Lord is calling us into, you know, fellow believers uh, into have, having friendships that are supportive like this. Now understand, uh, David and Saul and, and Jonathan lived well before, many hundreds of years before the church age. Um, but Marilyn, there's no doubt in my mind that we have here tonight instruction about the type of friendships that church members should have, uh, that what should characterize the friendship uh, between church members. And so think about that tonight also, okay? Now before we jump in here tonight, I'm going to pray uh, in a minute, but let's let's just uh, look back at the end of chapter 20. I'm not there actually, it'd be helpful if I was there. Uh, look back at the end of chapter 19 just for a moment. So you remember, uh, Jonathan, Saul, King Saul's son. Uh, had gotten King Saul, his dad, to swear an oath that he'd stop trying to kill David. Uh, Rich, why Why did David... No, nope, let me try again. Why did Saul want to kill David? Well, he had uh, jealousy because he felt David to actually take over his position. Yeah, so there was this jealousy. He understood that God uh, had already proclaimed some consequences for Saul's unfaithfulness, and he, he, he had a pretty good idea that Jonathan, sorry, that David was going to be the next king, and so David's a threat to Saul, and uh, he's he's um, jealous about that, and, and no doubt David is, sorry, Saul is also jealous about the close friendship between his son, Jonathan, uh, and, and David, and uh, as we've said, that kind of jealousy and envy left unchecked can really start to get at you, right? And it can lead you down a road that you hardly believe you've, you've been on. And uh, not that you start throwing javelins at people like Saul did, but it can lead you to a pretty bad place. And uh, we'll see that again tonight here also. So at the end of chapter 19, um, Saul had failed three times uh, to send uh, messengers, they're called in the chapter, to go and kill uh, David and you remember each time they failed and uh, what happened last couple of times that Saul sent out these these I don't want to call them people to kill David um, as they approached the Lord supernaturally changed them, right? It changed their actions at least rather than coming and, and killing David as they had been ordered to do. The Lord caused them to just start prophesying. <laughs> were they giving forth prophecy in the sense of we think about it, not sure, but certainly there was, there was worshiping. The Lord, Lord just intervened there and changed their intentions and, and caused them to engage in spiritually wonderful things, Gary, rather than continuing or persisting in their desire to kill or their orders to kill David. Uh, Brother Art, can, does God still change men that dramatically today? I mean, when, when a man comes to Christ in, in faith for salvation, do we do we still see men, uh, ladies too, be, being changed like that? God makes a change, doesn't he? And it's a good change. It's a good change, like, like we saw here. I don't think these men came and got saved, but they, they were changed uh, supernaturally nonetheless. So you saw that here. Then you saw Saul come. Saul got frustrated. He said, well... Uh, if these guys who I'm sending out can't kill David, I better go and do it myself. Look here in verse 23, chapter 19, verse 23. He went thither to uh, Naoth in Ramah. That's the place. The Spirit of God was upon him also. Uh, And he went on and prophesied until he came to to Naoth in Ramah. So God God did the same thing to Saul that, that God did to the men that Saul had sent. Just, you know, knock them off course and cause them to uh, worship rather than continue in their murderous intent. Verse 23 says, And he, Saul, stripped off his clothes also, someone said maybe this was a gesture of repentance, maybe, uh, and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Uh, it's either shame or, or repentance, wherefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? And so that's, we've seen that phrase a couple of times. So uh, that's, that's where we ended. That, that's where we ended. Um, now, David understands that Saul is probably uh, still after him, and he is. Uh, David's not real sure about that, and so he goes to Jonathan. Now, before we continue on, remind me, please, once again, who is Jonathan to Saul? Jonathan is Saul's son. Saul is the king, and Jonathan, in a very real sense, is like a prince, right? He. He might reasonably expect that if dad's the king, maybe there's a chance someday uh, I can be king as well. That would probably be uh, his hope. Uh, and so for him to protect David, for him to go against his dad, uh, King Saul, and to protect David, he's, he's risking the wrath of his dad, which we've seen is pretty severe, uh, but also potentially jeopardizing any hope that he might have had uh, of being a king one day himself. So Gary, he's kind of putting it all on the line. he's He's, in a sense, in kind of a worldly sense, in a practical sense, he's risking a lot to protect his friend uh, david. he's he's risking maybe even his safety, uh, you know in the context of a very angry dad. he's risking everything to protect his friend. and I want you think about that, think about that as a characteristic of of godly friendship. so, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 20 now, verse 1. I'm going to pray. We'll, we'll dive in here. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for the privilege tonight to hold your words, a uh, wonderfully accurate translation of them in our hands. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to teach your words tonight. I pray that we would be instructed by you, Father. I pray you'd help me and guide my thoughts and God, my words. And Lord, as we consider uh, what Jonathan risked for his friend David, I, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us and teach us and encourage us uh, what it means to be a faithful, godly friend. Lord, you've called us into these loving, friendly relationships as as fellow church members. And I pray tonight that we could each take out uh, a trait or two that we see here in this friendship tonight. And Lord, apply it very practically uh, to our relationships with each other in our church even today. Uh, Lord, the, the faithfulness, the friendship, the um, the willingness to, to, to risk much uh, for a friend and for the friend's safety. Lord, I, I pray tonight that we, we just get a sense tonight. We un- begin to understand uh, the faithfulness and commitment of these friends to each other. Uh, Lord, I pray tonight that you help us now. Love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, David. Fled from Naoth and Ramah, so he's fleeing away from the place where Saul had come to to kill him, uh, and came and said before Jonathan, Hey, what have I done? Why is it that your dad is just persisting and, and wanting to kill me? What is mine iniquity? What have I done, Jonathan? Uh, And what is my sin before thy father? What have I done uh, to upset him so much that he seeketh my life? he's seeking to kill him, we understand, uh, over and over and over again. Jonathan answers David, and consider his answer here. It seems a little off. It's it's surprising. Jonathan's answer seems a little off. It seems a little rich, like he's just not quite getting it. Verse 2, he, Jonathan, said unto him, David, God forbid thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but he will show it me. You know what, David, dad will tell me if he's going to kill you, he'll, he'll tell me, listen, we've talked about this. We've made an oath. We've had an understanding. Uh, if dad's going to try to kill you again, he, he's going to tell me, he says, why should my father hide this thing from me? Uh, it is not so. Uh, is something clouding Jonathan's perception of the situation. It, it is, it, isn't it? Uh, it? It would seem to me that Jonathan is, I don't know if he's choosing not to see how how terrible the situation is, but but Gary, I was thinking about this today, and did you ever, did you ever, I think this is easier to, to observe in other people versus ourselves, but you ever watch someone else, and you, you, you could see that there was a problem uh, in a uh, someone's life, but their close friend just couldn't see it or, or didn't want to see it. Or, or maybe there's a family member who, uh, everyone thinks the family member has done something wrong, but everyone else in the family just interprets it differently, you know? Uh, have, have, you, have you been in that situation? You know, Somebody else thinks that my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, and my cousin did something wrong, but boy, I just don't see it that way. I, I, I see it differently. You know what I mean? It seems like there's a, there's a temptation, Brother Ray, to always sort of interpret someone's actions and intentions uh, and motives through the lens of our friendship with them. And we always want to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? We always, If we're close to someone, we always want to just assume that, they, that they're going to do right they don't have any wrong intentions, wrong motives, and so we always interpret their actions, their words, and so forth, We're, or we tend to at least, through the uh, the, the lens of, of that friendship. Being close to someone physically, sometimes can cloud our judgment of their actions, their motives, their intentions. And I look at this verse tonight, verse 2, and Maryland. that's just a reminder of that phenomena, if you will. It's just a reminder. We have to be careful not to let our, our closeness to someone cloud our judgment about kind of where they are in life and where their heart is and, and what their actions are really all about. And just... Be willing to take a step back and say, Lord, I, there's times where I'm going to need to ask you to help me be objective. You know, I, I want to I assume that Brother Gary always has the best intentions. You do, right? You do, right? But, but God, you know, um, he was trying to drive his car into the river. <laughs> he hasn't been able to do that yet. Uh, that's a joke, right? Um, Lord, help us to be objective. You know, help help us to be objective and not let uh, closeness of relationships blind us to certain realities that we need to be able to see if we're going to be as helpful to people kind of involved in that situation uh, as we can be. God give us eyes to see things as they really are, not the way we wish they would be. Uh, and so that Jonathan is kind of, he's just refusing to see the reality that Saul still has it out for David. Nothing has changed. Uh, the, the envy, the jealousy, the, the wrath, the anger, it's all still there. It's pretty clearly out there in the open uh, and, and could be seen if he chose to see it. Well, David answers in verse 3. says to, to Jonathan that, that Saul uh, may not share his intentions with Jonathan. Jonathan said, David, don't worry, man. Dad, Dad will tell me if he's going to come after you. Uh, And David said, I'm not so sure about that, mister. (laughs) You know, you're my friend, and I I know he's your dad, and you want to think best of him, but I'm not so sure about that. David understands that Jonathan's judgment may be clouded here by his relationship. David swore more after, verse 3, and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes, in your eyes, Jonathan. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, Uh, lest he be grieved dad might not tell you Jonathan because he doesn't want to grieve you he knows that you and I are close so he might not tell you uh, if he's still out to get me he says but truly as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth there is but a what what does it say a step between me and death he says I just know uh, there's, there's not much space between me and death because what he's implying here what your dad is still out to get me uh, and Jonathan didn't, doesn't really want to hear it, but this is, this is what David says. So Jonathan offers, and here, here's the friendship, you know, the, uh, just Brother A, the, the faithful friendship and, and the you know, just a, a compassion and a willingness to kind of reach out to his friend and say, all right, man, what is it that you want me to do? And, you know, he's not going to offer to do anything wrong, I don't think, but he, he wants to be there for his friend, and he offers to do uh, graciously, lovingly, what, whatever it is that David needs uh, him to do. That's what he says in verse four. Then say, said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it uh, for thee, period. Now just stop there and consider that verse for a minute. Um, that's a heart for his friend, isn't it? That's, just a, that's an incredible heart. Uh, that, that's, Gary, that's a loving heart toward a friend. Amen. Whatever you need, uh, I will do it. Um, I've I've said to people I guess jokingly more than once I'll do anything for you if it's biblical and legal A- Amen <laughs> you know and that's the right heart right uh, friends who who really want to demonstrate love to each other that that should be our heart hey anything that I can do for you uh, I'll do it if it's not Biblical, if it's unbiblical or illegal, I'm not going to do it, but man, anything up to that point. Zach, who makes that possible? Who makes it possible to have that heart and then to actually walk with that heart, to do the thing? Christ makes it possible, right? And, you know, people that don't have Christ don't understand that. They, they, don't, they don't understand where that heart come from. It looks weird, feels weird, but yeah, God, the Holy Spirit produces a love in our hearts and a desire to do for each other. Uh, these guys aren't permanently indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's not been sent to permanently indwell people yet, but uh, even despite that, there's just a wonderful heart for each other. Whatever thy soul desireth, Jonathan said, I will even do it for thee. And so David has something that he wants Jonathan to do. He's got a plan. Uh, to try to determine where Saul is. Is is he giving up on trying to kill me, or uh, is his heart unchanged? And so David proposes a plan. He says, you know what, we got this feast coming up, and it goes on for several days. And he says, "Um, I'm going to go off and do something else during the feast. Now, normally, David would have gone to the feast, celebrate the feast with uh, Saul because he was close I know Saul's been trying to kill him, but uh, he was uh, part of uh, he was a senior uh, officer in Saul's army, right? Don't forget that. And so uh, it, it appears to be the case. We'll see here that the inner circle, you know, close people, senior-ranking military officers would would typically come and join Saul for this feast. I'm not sure what feast this would be on, on the Jewish calendar. I think it's it's probably hard to say, but it does say the feast of the new moon. That raises a few possibilities. But uh, Saul. Uh, David says to Jonathan, I'm, I'm not going to go. I says, he says, I, I know I would normally be expected to go, but I'm not going to go. Uh, you go, and you observe how Dad responds to my absence. If he's kind of casual, and nonchalant about it, we'll assume everything's okay. But uh, if, he, if he flies off the handle over it, we'll assume that he's still got it out for me. So this, this is the plan that David proposes. Saul uh, Jonathan might have thought, I don't know that seems a little silly well, I don't know what he thought, but as a friend who is just offered to do for his friend whatever the friend desires, he says, okay, all right man, we'll do that. You, this is what you need uh, to feel comfortable that my dad's not coming after you We'll do that. So here's David describing the plan of Jonathan verse five David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, uh, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field uh, unto the third day at even. This feast evidently would go on for three days. He says, I'm going to go hide myself until the third night. Uh, Verse six, if thy father, Jonathan, if your father Saul uh, at all miss me, if if he's fired up about this, then say, David, earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. So, uh, if David is missed, if Saul says, hey, where's David? Uh, Jonathan is to say, well, he went to his town, his city, Bethlehem. Uh, he does picture Christ, right? Uh, tell, tell Saul, tell your dad that uh, David went to Bethlehem and there's a, there's a celebration there as well uh, and he'll be back. Now, I'm assuming that this is not a lie. (laughs) I I hope that um, David did actually do that. I don't know that because it doesn't say, but hopefully this is not a lie. Is lying a sin? Gary's lying always a sin? It's always a sin. Uh, I don't don't think there's a lie here. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, Verse seven, if he thus say, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. Uh, So David says, if your dad says, well, okay, that's fine. Um, well, he says, but if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. So if dad says, that's fine, I got it. We'll assume everything's okay. If, he's, if he be very wroth or very angry, then we'll be sure everything's not okay. And this is, this is the test that David uh, proposes. Uh, he also, David also reminds Jonathan that uh, he and Jonathan um, had entered into a covenant Verse 8, thou, th- therefore, thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding if there be in me iniquity. Slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me uh, to thy father? That's very interesting, isn't it? He says, you know what, if there's some reason that someone should kill me, you just do it yourself right now. Um, it might be a test, but it's, uh, it reveals his heart. Gary's heart is to be right before that family and, and before a God. And if there's anything to be uncovered, discovered, any consequences to suffering, he just says, lay it out there now, friend. But I don't think there's anything like that. But you see his heart, his heart is that his, uh, his, his heart would be revealed. Well, Jonathan comforts David. See verse 9. Jonathan said, far be it from thee, far be it from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come unto thee, then would not I tell it thee? He says, he's, he's comforting him. He's saying, listen, we're, we're, we're friends. We, we've, we've sworn this covenant to each other. We have this friendship. Uh, far be it from me to kill you. Far be it from me to not tell you if my dad, uh, he's, he's just trying to reassure him and comfort him. Marilyn, do friends sometimes just need to be reassured? You just need to be comforted? And I understand we, we probably never will deal with a specific situation like this one, uh, but Carolyn, sometimes friends just need to be reassured, right? Uh, and don't we all need that sometimes? Just some reassurance, some comfort, everything's going to be okay. By the way, in the end, is everything going to be okay? Is everything ultimately going to be okay? Is it? It is, right? I mean, we have that comfort available to us from God's words. You know, sometimes you say to someone, hey, everything's going to be okay, and, you know, sometimes it just feels like words, right? I know you're just saying that to try to comfort me, but as Christians, as people who've repented of sin and placed our faith in Christ, uh, we can actually know for sure that in the end, everything's gonna be okay, right? Gary, we know there could be some trials between here and there, right? There could be some ups and downs and some difficulties, but in the end, everything really is gonna be okay. and. Um, how, can, how else could you comfort a friend who's facing a trial right now? I mean, yes, it is comforting for, to remind each other that in the end, everything is going to be okay, but, you know, that end might be a ways off, right? There might be some time uh, between here and heaven. Um, there, there could be a lot of time or not. We'll, we'll know. <laughs> we'll know one day. Uh, how else can you comfort a friend who is a believer uh, if they're going through great difficulty? Gentlemen, how could you comfort someone? you've got a friend who's going through a great trial, how, how can you comfort them? How can you comfort them? Say again, brother. Pray with, them. pray with them. How about that? Yeah, pray with them. Hey, I understand you're going through a hard time. I, if you've gone through something similar, you, you can share that. Don't just commiserate for the sake of commiserating, though. Have you ever noticed that if you just commiserate with someone, you tend to drag each other down rather than lifting each other up? Uh, rather than you could say, hey, listen, I, I have some insight into what you're going through because I've actually experienced something like that. Would you help me out, Zachary, please? Thank you. Uh, I, I, I can understand where you are because I've gone through something like that. But listen, rather than us just commiserating about it, let's pray about it. Right? You literally pray with the person, with them, on the phone, whatever it is. You, you can pray with them. You can share some scripture that seems relevant to their situation. Um, find some scripture, uh, pray with them. Uh, maybe there's some practical things that you can do to help and encourage them. Show them some love, uh, show, show them some love. So Jonathan comforts David. Uh, they renew their, their oath to each other in verses 10 and 11. Uh, David seems a little bit unconvinced. And so, uh, he says in verse 10, uh, then said David, Jonathan, who shall tell me Or what if thy father answered thee roughly? And Jonathan said unto David, come and let us go into the field. Uh, And they went out, both of them, into the field. And Jonathan just reiterates his covenant of friendship to David and reiterates this this agreement that, hey, I really am gonna tell you if there's something that you need to know. Uh, You know what? (laughs) And what's implied is, despite the fact that that's my dad, uh, if, if, if it seems like he's, he's coming at you wrong, I'm, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, despite the risk to me, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, he just lovingly reassures uh, David. Verse 12, Jonathan said unto David, O Lord, uh, God of Israel, when I have sounded my father a- about tomorrow, uh, any time, or the third day and before, uh, if there be good toward David, and I send not unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. Uh, he's really making a pledge to the Lord in David's presence that, uh, you know, if, if something, if, if Saul has something bad intended for, for David and Jonathan doesn't tell him, he's saying, hey, let that fall on me. Uh, he's, he's pledging this to the Lord. He's offering that to the Lord. He's, he's just doing everything that he can do to lovingly uh, assure and comfort and reassure his friends. Rich, sometimes friends just need that, right? We need all the reassurance and comfort of a good godly friend that, that we can have. Verse 13 says, Lord, do uh, so and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do the evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away that thou mayest go in peace uh, and Lord be with thee as he has been with my father. I'm going to do whatever I can, David, for you. Uh, as, as I stand before the Lord, I, I pledge that to you. Uh, Jonathan added to his vow in the next couple of verses uh, that David was also to show kindness to Jonathan and his family. And this is very interesting. It seems to imply, I think, that Jonathan is aware that, that Saul will not continue as king and that David will be king. And uh, he's, he basically makes a vow that uh, his family, uh, those that follow him, will... Uh, be with David and, and his family. Verse 14, he says, and thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, so you, you be kind to me in, in return, friend. Verse 15, but also, also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness, your kindness, from my house, my family forever. Uh, you be kind to me <laughs> and... and uh, our, to, to my, those that follow me forever, uh, my family, uh, my children, uh, know not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. He's pretty clearly evidencing that, that God has shown him that he understands David's gonna be the next king and he wants their, he wants their families uh, in the years to follow to be uh, in the same type of relationship, to kind of continue this covenant of friendship. Uh, by the way, that phrase, I, covenant of friendship, is, is an interesting phrase um, friendships probably should be treated more like serious covenants, uh, especially within a church. You know, covenants are binding agreements, and when we come into the membership of a church, we have church covenant, right? And it's intended to be sort of a binding agreement that we will uh, perform certain responsibilities and duties to the church and to the individual members of the church. Um, certainly, a big part of our covenant is about our relationships with each other and it's called the covenant for a reason because it's meant to be taken seriously like a biblical covenant is, is meant to be taken very seriously. So that's, that's an idea worth considering. Uh, verse 16, Jonathan desires that the Lord would deal with anyone in his house who broke this covenant. So yeah, it's going to be taken very seriously. So, verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. Uh, Jonathan and David swear this oath again. Verse 17, Jonathan caused David to swear again. You know, uh agree. Tell me again, you you agree to this agreement between me and thee because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Zach, is there anything inappropriate in picture there? It's 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 just brotherly love, right? It's Philadelphia. It's it's brotherly love between two friends who are agreeing to be there to support each other, to remain faithful to each other, uh, and their, their heart was not only would they do that, but their children and children's children uh, would do the same. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's godly uh, and loving and wonderful. Jonathan has a plan to secretly communicate the results of this test uh, at the feast with David. Basically, he says, listen, uh, when I know what the results of the test are from, from the feast, I'm gonna come out into this field and I'm gonna shoot some arrows and I'll have a lad with me who will be responsible for going to pick up the arrows. And depending what I say to him, you'll know that everything is either okay or it's not okay. And if it's not okay, you're gonna have to get out of here. So this is the plan they um, developed to communicate. It's pretty clever actually. Uh, verse 18, then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon, so it's the eve of that feast where they're going to try to take Saul's temperature about how he's viewing David. Thou shalt be missed because thy seat will be empty, and when thou, verse 19, hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the business was in hand, uh, and shall remain by the stone Azel." Uh, that's just a place, the stone of Zell. Uh, It literally translates as the stone of of the way, the stone of way or something like that. This would be like a milestone that would direct travelers. They would kind of navigate toward this stone, and it would point them one way or the other, uh, like a street sign today. It was a a milestone, a marker that would direct people. So it was just a a convenient place to, a convenient way to, uh, to to. uh, form the understanding about where this would all happen. Verse 20, he says, and I, Jonathan says, I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof as though I shot at a mark or a target. And behold, I will send a lad, my, my young uh, arrow fetcher, uh, saying, go find out the arrows. And Jonathan says to David, if I expressly say unto the lad, behold, the arrows are on the side of thee, take them. Uh, then come thou for there is peace to thee and no hurt as the Lord liveth. So if, if I cry out David to the lad, the arrows are over there. That means everything's okay. You come out. But verse 22, you remember this. He says, but if I say thus unto the young man, behold, the arrows are beyond thee. If I say to the, the lad who's getting the arrows, David, that I, the arrows were shot over where you are, that's how you're going to know that uh, there's a problem, uh, for the Lord hath sent thee away. He's, that's, how, that's how they're going to communicate. Zach, I think this is clever. Uh, I think it's pretty clever. Verse 23 says, uh, and as touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of. Behold, the Lord be between thee and me forever. So again, just that uh, reassurance and comfort and godliness uh, in their relationship. Well, uh, verse 24 says this, verse 24 says this, so David hid himself in the field and when the new moon was come, the king sat down uh, to eat meat. He's, he's there at the feast now. The feast began, Saul notices that David is absent and initially assumes that he was missing due to uh, uncleanness. Let's see this. We'll talk about that for just a minute. King sat down at his seat, verse 25, as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. Jonathan arose, and Abner, chief officer Abner, sat by Saul's side, and David's place was what? He's out in the field. Okay, that's the plan. Nevertheless, verse 26, Saul spake not anything that night, for he thought something had befallen him. Uh, he is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Now, you remember, under the law, there were certain circumstances that would render a man ceremonially unclean under the Levitical law, right? And, and that would remain the case until that evening. And then the next day, you were allowed to kind of go about your business. It's just part of the, the Levitical law, the Old Testament Levitical law. And so Saul doesn't think too much of it the first night of the feast. He said, well, you know, it's probably one of those things has come up and, and David's ceremonially unclean can't come out tonight. But, He'll be back tomorrow night, no no doubt. Well, verse 27, the second day of the feast. It came to pass on the morrow, verse 27, which was the second day of the month, uh, that David's place was empty, still empty. David's still out in the field. Saul said unto Jonathan, his son, wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse? That's David, right? Son of Jesse. uh, To meet. Why is he not here at the feast? Neither yesterday nor today. Hey, why isn't your buddy here? He didn't come last night and he's not here tonight either. He's probably thinking, this is just disrespectful, brother Art. Brother Art, if you invite me over for dinner, I'm not going to be disrespectful. If I can come, I'm going to come, all right? Unless I'm ceremonially unclean and then maybe we put off a day, but the king is offended, it would seem. Uh, Jonathan gives the explanation that David desired, verse 28, Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. Uh, And he said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city. My brother, he hath commanded me to be there, and now, if I have found favor in thine eye, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren, my family. Therefore, dad, uh, he, David, cometh not unto the king's table. So that was the story that David said you should offer King Saul, Jonathan, if he asks. And again, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, Rich, and say that David actually did that, at least for this night, uh, at least for this night. It, wouldn't be, it would be a little bit of a trip, but uh, it, it's a doable trip. Well, Saul responds. (laughs) And Brother Art, the the test here is going to reveal Saul's heart pretty clearly. Uh, He responds with great anger uh, at David, no doubt, but he responds with great anger at Jonathan. Why would he be angry at Jonathan, Gary? Why would Saul be angry at Jonathan? Yeah, I think he, he thinks he's covering up for him. You know, he's, he's angry. You're just covering up for him. And he, he says some really horrible things in his anger. You ever say really horrible things when you were angry? I, we all have, right? Lord, help us to bridle our tongues. God, help us to yield control of our tongues to you. Uh, Lord, please. The verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, "'Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman.'" Uh, That's um, an expression of extreme disapproval (laughs) at best. Uh, The world uses a terrible phrase, something like that. I don't want to take you there, but he says, "'Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman.'" Uh, You know, referring to your mother that way would be pretty angry and ugly. He says, "'Do not I know that thou has chosen the son of Jesse.'" Uh, you've chosen David the son of Jesse uh, over me you're covering up for him uh, son thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion uh, the word confusion uh, is also translated shame could have been translated shame here this is fine, but the underlying word is translated shame quite a bit it's um it's a form of is a Hebrew word, that can be translated shame or confusion. Uh, extreme shame can be a confusing situation. You ever been in a situation where you're just really ashamed? You, know, you did something you just wish you had, and you felt really ashamed, and it just began to kind of mess with your mind, you, got, you even got somewhat confused about that. That, that might be the, the reason that the, the, the word is translated both ways. Uh, to thine own confusion. He says, and unto the confusion or shame of thy mother's nakedness. Now that, that second reference to the mother is, is a little bit more difficult to understand, but uh, he's, he, he may be saying something like, I'm not, I'm not even sure you're your mother's son. That, that might be the idea. Uh, he, he uses this terrible reference to his mother. And secondly, he's saying, I'm not, I'm not, you're being so bad to your father, I'm not even sure you could be your mother's son. might might be the idea. And no doubt, this language was intended to be very, very harsh, and it is. This is really harsh. However you understand, it's very harsh. Gary, um, when we don't deal with envy and jealousy and anger and wrath, you know, envy and jealousy becomes anger and wrath and leads to terrible things that comes out of our mouth and, and terrible actions. Thankfully, none of us own javelins. Anybody here own a javelin? No, good, probably good you um, see it again. I mean, you, we've got to be able to, willing to say, Lord, you know, help, help me to deal with my jealousy and my envy. Lord, you know, help, help me to deal with it biblically and uh, pray that. Lord, Lord, help me to deal with these emotions biblically uh, and to get right with people and to be right with you. Uh, Lord, help me to be content with such things as, as I have been given by you. Uh, God, help me to be loving when my intention is to be uh, angry and and wrathful and and murderous even, uh, you know we'd say no that never happened but it happens here, and this really did happen. Saul adds in verse 31 that as long as David lived, Jonathan would not be king and. Yeah, that's interesting. He says, listen, you, you understand, as long as that guy's living, you're not going to be king. You get that, right? So you might as well just tell me what the deal is. Verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. It's not God's plan anyway. It's not going to happen anyway, but Saul may not understand that. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan answers his dad by asking again, what has David done to you, dad? Saul replied by throwing the javelin at who now? Who does he throw the javelin at now? Throws it at his own son. And verse 32, Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? Why? Why, dad? Why? What has he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him, at Jonathan, to smite, to kill him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Jonathan understood now uh, David's test has been performed and we have the results. The results are in. Uh, Dad is very angry. He's flown into a murderous rage and uh, now now his, his rage is taking him from wanting to kill David to uh, flying into just this rage that leads him to a place where he tried to kill his own son, whom he thought was being dishonest with him. Uh, anger, jealousy, envy, and jealousy can turn to anger, which can turn to rage, which really can lead people uh, to kill uh, or attempt to kill people who are close to them. I wonder... Um, how many of the people that you, you read about or hear about in the news, Gary, you spent many years in the news business, and no doubt you reported a few assaults over the years, maybe even murders, I would imagine. I wonder how many of those people got up in the morning and said, I'm going to go out and kill that guy today. Maybe some of them, maybe some of them, but you know, they tend to be crimes of passion, right? Something happens, and you uh, you fly into a rage. Or... Maybe it's more like this situation here where it kind of brewed over a period of time until there was this explosion, you know, boiling over an an explosion. Um, Rich, I I just know if if people would take this passage uh, and and see what it's teaching and, and really grasp onto the idea that when I'm jealous, when I'm angry, when I'm envious, I've, I've got to get on my knees. I've got to pray about that. I've got to get God's answers down into my heart and keep them down in there and ask the Lord for grace uh, to cha- change my heart. God's changed hearts in, the, in this, these several passages, at least for a time. Uh, we, we've got to take it seriously. Um, boy, there's, there's such a warning here. Uh, to us. We've got to teach this stuff to other people. You take these emotions seriously and deal with them biblically. Jonathan's angered. He got up and left. Yeah, dad just tried to kill him. Verse 34, so Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, did eat no meat the second day of the feast, for he was grieved for David uh, because his father had done him shame. I didn't check, but that's probably the same word that's translated confused uh, before. I want to quickly read the next six or so verses. Here Jonathan goes to communicate the results of this test to David just exactly as they had planned, he goes and does it. He's faithful to the plan, he's a faithful friend. Just see this with me quickly, beginning in verse 35, it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad ran with him." That's the arrow guy, right? Uh, And he said unto his lad, "'Run, find out now the arrows which I shoot.' And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. Okay, that has a meaning. When the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond thee? Didn't it go over where you are? why do he yell it out like that, Zach? Somebody else is supposed to hear it too, right? <laughs> David's out there, is supposed to hear it also. Uh, hey lad, I th- pretty sure the arrow went over your head. David's hearing that and say, hey, I know what that means. I know what that means, that's the signal. Uh, Jonathan cried after the lad, make hate, make speed, haste, stay not. Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. That's Jonathan. But the lad knew not anything. He didn't know what was really happening here. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Verse 39, verse 40, Jonathan gave his artillery unto his lad and said unto him, Go, carry them to the city. Take that stuff back home. And so Jonathan has communicated to David with the message, the secret message, that um, it's not good. Dad is not in a good place. Uh, By the way, he doesn't only want to kill you. Now, he tried to kill me, too. Um, He's not dealt with his emotions in a biblical, God-honoring manner. I want you very quickly see um, the last couple of verses here. Um, This is the point in the history of David and Jonathan where David understands Sister Marlene. He's got to leave now. David, uh, David understands, okay, I get it. This guy, he's tried to kill me various different ways. He's still on that. And so I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to have to get up and go. By the way, if David got up and went, I was going to say if he got up and goad, that's not a word, is it? If David got up and goad, uh, running away from um, Saul, there we go, uh, is he leaving anyone behind? Is he leaving anyone behind? Who's David leaving behind? Jonathan for sure, his close friend. Is he leaving anyone else behind too, ladies? (laughs) There's that wife, right? Saul's daughter, there's a wife also. There's a wife for sure. For him to have to get up and go is gonna be a very challenging, difficult thing. Uh, What's in view here is the difficulty between these two friends. These two who have been so supportive to each other, who have been so faithful to each other, uh, who have exercised faithfully this brotherly love toward each other, Uh, Jonathan, despite the risk to himself. And by the way, if you didn't think there was risk to Jonathan for lovingly trying to protect David, did you see it? Did you see the risk? it was that real. His dad threw a javelin at him trying to kill him. I don't think it was a warning shot, Brother Garcia. I don't think that was thrown across the bow, just a, hey, son, I mean it. You know, I think he threw it in anger at him like he was trying to kill him, like up against the wall, right? So the the risk to Jonathan for being faithful and loving and protecting to David is, it was that real. Um, It's that kind of a friendship where these These two guys would do just anything for each other that was biblical, legal. And now David's gonna have to leave. Wisdom dictates that, I believe. Look at verse 41, as soon as the lad was gone, David rose out of the place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. Who's he bowing to? Jonathan. Why would he do that? Well, you know, Jonathan is a prince of the king. There's there's a respect here, but I think it's it's more extreme respect for his friend, who has been faithful to honor every part of their agreement. David has just such a profound respect for his friend, who has been so loyal and so loving, despite the risk of harm uh, to his friend. He bowed himself three times. Uh, and they kissed one another Um, nothing untoward or weird about that this was the custom in the east it still is uh if you go to france today they they still kiss was there a number of times for business years ago and doesn't matter who it is they want to kiss you once on each cheek every time you come into their you go into a meeting they want to kiss you twice on each cheek and it's, it's just meant as a friendly gesture, right? That's all it is in France today. That's, that's what it was here. But you know, I think here, they, they're following the custom probably, but there's a real brotherly love here. It's not just a informal peck-peck. It's, a, it's an expression. Uh, it's imbued with, in, with love and brotherly love, that Philadelphia. Uh, they kissed one another, demonstrating this great brotherly love, and, and wept one with another. Rich, why are they weeping? Why are they weeping? Why would they be weeping? Why are they crying? They're grown men. Why are they crying? Because of what's been going on. Yeah, just the whole tenor of the whole situation, and I think they are mutually realizing this this means that David's gonna have to flee away. That's what wisdom would dictate, and we may not see each other, uh, at least for a time, There's weeping. They wept one with another, uh, and David exceeded. Now, that word is understood differently. It's uh, until. It says until David exceeded. That word is understood a variety of different ways. Some say it's until David exceeded Jonathan's expressions of brotherly love, and it it could be that. But um, the word also is translated other places in ways that imply just kind of getting up, rising up or standing up. Um, why would he do that? Why would he have to rise up, Zach? He had bowed, he had bowed down. So I think, you know, translators may not have been sure really <laughs> exactly how to understand that. So they they did translate it very literally, which is a good call. It's a good translation. It is very literal, but um, it it probably simply refers to him, you know, getting up. Um, they They just continued in this expression of brotherly love until David stood up. Um, or it could mean that, you know, David, they just continued until David's expression of love was greater than Jonathan's is how some understand it. I'm not sure, honestly, either, either could be the case. And when you're not sure, you say, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. If you have thoughts on that, please share them with me. Uh, verse 42 marks the beginning of David's flight from Saul. It's tough. Jonathan said to David verse 42 go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city um, this is a this is this is an amazing friendship one man said this most dramatic and sad parting of these two staunch friends constitutes a classic in the annals of human friendship. Well, that's big language, but you know what, Gary, I think that's pretty accurate. This is a classic in the annals of human friendship. Um, you consider all the descriptions of friendship in, in literature of any kind. This is, this is an extraordinary example of friendship. There's faithfulness and loyalty and not just an internal love, but an expression of that in a faithful, loyal way, despite, despite the threat of harm uh, to oneself. Um, that's real friendship. Amen. Marilyn, I think that's the kind of friendship that we're called to as fellow church members today. These men were living before the church age. Well, I think one of the reasons God would preserve this, a passage like this for people like us today is that We are called into close, intimate friendships within our church and called to demonstrate that kind of love to one another. Now, Rich, hopefully I'll never have to go and figure out if someone's trying to kill you. (laughs) I hope that's never the case, right? I don't think that'll ever be the case, but, uh, you know, you you would hope that someone in the church would be willing to kind of put all on the line to help you uh, if that were the case. Now, I want to ask you, I want to ask you as we close the, the lesson portion here. Um, is, is this at all convicting? Is, is, this, is, is the, the intensity of the friendship and the loyalty and the willingness to do for the, for the friend, regardless of the potential cost, regardless of, of the danger, is, first of all, is it a model for us? Do you think it is? Do you think it is? Do you? I think it is. I think that's why it's in the Bible, amen? It's a model for us. Is it convicting? It is for me. (laughs) It's convicting to me. Uh, Gary, I desire to be a good friend, a loving friend, to be there for uh, everyone in the church. Um, It's convicting. I I don't know that I'm there for people that way uh, with with that kind of commitment to people. Um, Brother Art, it's it's a little bit convicting. It's it's quite a bit convicting. And uh, if it's convicting, what do you do? What do you do? Zach, what do you do if you're convicted? yeah lord you know i'm not sure that i've invested myself in in this kind of intimate loyal friendship with uh the people in the world who should be closest to me you know family uh, and church family um lord i you know i i agree with you i confess that and would would you help me to see that yeah i think this is this is a model for us and help me to see there's some space between where I am and my friendships and the model, and, and God help me to, yeah, confess that and look to you, Lord, for grace to uh, build this kind of friendship. Um, hopefully we never find ourselves in this kind of situation that David and, and Jonathan did, but we do find ourselves all in difficulties where we need friends like Jonathan was to David. Um, we need friends like Jonathan was to David. How does David picture Christ here, by the way? More of an academic thought, but how does, how does David picture Christ here? Um, you got a thought? Um, well, says that to say, to that's say that again, please. Everybody hear him, please. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that mask come up, you shout out. Say it again, please. There's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and speaking of Christ, I believe that that's true. Yeah, so Christ is that kind of a friend to us. He's God the Son, but He is that kind of loyal friend to us uh, who was willing to do anything for us despite the cost. What What did it cost Christ to demonstrate the love to us that He demonstrated? Go ahead, Zach. It cost him all that terrible beating and bloodshed and death upon the cross, being buried. He rose again. Amen. Uh, We might celebrate that this coming Sunday. He rose again. Yeah, but uh, sure, uh, there's, in a sense, Jonathan pictures Christ here also. Um, David, God's choice, had to run from the authority of his day. Um, he was pursued by, rejected by and pursued by the authority of his day. Of course, Christ, Christ was also, right? Uh, he was rejected by the Jewish authorities of his day, as was prophesied, and, and had to uh, face the consequences of that. Thankfully, he did that for us. Uh, and, Zach, that's the perfect, perfect example of friendship, isn't it? Lord, give us a heart to be willing to do for each other. Uh, to have that kind of a heart for each other and to be willing to do for each other. Um, wouldn't it be great if our friendships could be closer than they are and that we could all support each other even better than we already do? Wouldn't that be great, church? That'd be good, right? Who would be pleased if we did that? Well, the Lord would be. Uh, he'd be pleased. And would, would that would that bring honor to Christ if, if we said, you know what, we need to work on our friendships and try to get them closer and be willing to be there more for each other? Would, would anyone be glorified by that, Zach? Yeah, Christ would. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. It is extraordinary in every way. Uh, Lord, it, it's, uh, it is convicting. And uh, Father, I, I confess tonight that I am convicted. Uh, I pray, Lord, tonight that you help me to see the space between... Um, my friendships and and the example that we see here tonight lord help me to um, not just have a desire but to live the desire to uh, invest myself more completely in godly christ-honoring friendships within our church family Uh, lord for your honor and for your glory god i know that as we do that you'll be pleased you'll bless your people and um Lord, we'll just be there for each other that much more. Father, show us tonight uh, where we stand in in this regard and uh, lay upon our hearts that which we should pray now.